Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to look at an event that's really a, a, a big event in church history. This is what you might call the first great church synod. It's where leaders gathered to decide the theology. There'd be more synods that would go on after this, of course, you know, and, and, and huge decisions about what, do, what does the Christian church truly believe? What did Jesus teach us? What, do, what does the Bible say? So but this would be the first one, and, and, and it was an argument over getting two different groups together, Jews and Gentiles. Could they fellowship as one? Could they actually mix these widely diverse groups into one church and actually have church together? Not simply wave at one another at a distance, but could they fellowship together? We're going to watch people coming together in a dramatic fashion, making a decision Two very different kinds of people deciding to break down that wall of dividing, of the separation, and pay the price and love each other. Father God, open the word. We do want to obey it. We are not looking to be entertained. We are disciples looking to be led by you, not me. I ask the same thing. Come and feed me. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Soften our hearts. We would respond in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I'm going to quickly take you through a good 29 verses of, of, of Acts 15. This is the, uh, I'll just tell you where we are and what's happening quickly, uh, and I'll pick up somewhere in it. We have finished the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas went out, they went to Cyprus, they went up into the central part of what today is Turkey, we, they call the Galatian churches. Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. You know that Paul was stoned in Lystra. They were almost killed everywhere they went. Uh, we don't know what happened in Derby. They turned around in Derby and went back through and came back to Antioch. Antioch and Syria. It's 350 miles north of Jerusalem. Big metropolitan city there up in, in Syria. They are up there right now and they're healing from their missionary trip. Uh, they're teaching. All of this is going on. And a group of people from Jerusalem, a group of men come from Jerusalem, and they begin to uh, attack Paul and Barnabas. They begin to question them. In other words, uh, in, probably in meetings or whatever, they probably are sitting there listening, and then they stand, and they begin to sh probably shout questions at them. They begin to challenge them publicly. Um, they, the church goes into a stir. They're saying, you can't keep running around bringing these Gentiles to, to, to Christ and not have them become Jews. They've got to be. The men have to be circumcised. They have to go through the whole ritual of becoming Jews, and they have to observe the law. These are eternal laws. You can't ignore them. And, a, and the church starts dividing into camps. There's a lot of, I mean, the word, wording in the thing is angry debate. <laughs> I mean, so we really are having a mess up here. And finally, these guys who've come up sort of take this uh, authoritative tone. And they tell 
Paul and Barnabas, you have to come down to Jerusalem and the apostles and the elders will decide this for us. Thinking they would decide in their favor. And Paul and Barnabas go, but the Antioch church says, wait a minute, and we'll send a delegation with you. You're not going alone into this thing. And so this group then goes 350 miles. They walk right on down the uh, north to south. And all the way they go, wherever they pass churches, Paul and Barnabas are telling, they're preaching. And they're telling testimony stories about all that God has been doing among the Gentiles. And it says everybody rejoiced. I mean, all the healing testimonies and miracles. Just, so they just turn this thing into a, to a, you know, a mission trip and go on down. And then they arrive in Jerusalem. And that's where we are here at verse 4. Acts 15, verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed. So, okay, you've got a, this is the heart of the thing. You've got a bunch of confer, converted Pharisees and they are still deeply tied into their, to their uh, strict observance of the law. They believe in Jesus as Messiah. Uh, they accept that, but they have not understood the, the implications yet. Who had believed stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together. The way it's said is actually, while Paul and Barnabas are talking down there, they stand up, interrupt them, and there's this shout. They shout out, I think, kind of thing, and um, stop them. And the whole church is, is gathered, hearing these testimonies. And the elders and, and the apostles gather and say, we've got to have a meeting. And so they pull everybody, some of these leaders aside, and they have this council meeting. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. and There had been much debate. Again, the word is questioning, actually. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. What's he referring to? The household of Cornelius, right. Yeah, he's refer remember that? He's preaching to this group of Romans, and boom, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit right in front of him, speaking in tongues the whole nine yards, and what are you going to do? He says, let's baptize him. So he's saying, look, God, notice, my mind says God who knows the heart. Do you know what the word is? It's actually the heart knower God. It's, it's, it's actually the word. And I mean, it's literally that, you know, you've got cardia, you've got gnosis and God, heart knower God. Don't you love that term? A heart knower God. In other words, the God who looked at their hearts and decided they were okay, baptized them with the Holy Ghost, declaring them clean. And if he says they're clean, what are we to say? That was his point. And he made no distinction between us and them. In other words, between us Jews and these, these Romans, cleansing their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put to God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to lift, is what he says. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. Peter's saying, look, for all of our Judaism, for all of our law observance, for all of our festivals and ceremonies, 
We only go to heaven because we're trusting by faith in Jesus Christ. How can you require Gentiles to do something else? Are you getting the gospel in this? Is there any question what the gospel is? You know, when someone tries to pull you back into Seventh-day observations or some kind of thing, you've got to observe these festivals, you've got to be real, real Jewish. I love Jewish festivals. You can do them as a worship, but boy, if you do them as a work, if you think you're somehow better than everybody else because you do that stuff, you're sliding into real trouble. That's what's being decided right here by people who really know Judaism. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, he uses Peter's full Jewish name, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. This is James, the Lord's half-brother, he got converted. There's actually a reference that Jesus, the re in his resurrection, appeared to this brother, his brother. The, his own family had rejected him. Remember this? So he appears to James, and James deeply believes. Now, he's become the leader of the conservative part of the church there in, in Jerusalem. So he's, what is he going to say? Peter's just said, come on. You know Paul and Barnabas are right. You know that that's the gospel. James, the leader of undoubtedly the group that came up and, and thought he'd support him, he stands up and says, this is just exactly what the prophets say. And then he quotes Amos. After these things, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. In other words, when Messiah comes, when David's son comes, I will rebuild its ruins, restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. When Messiah comes, the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment, says James, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from, and he's going to list some things, things contaminated by idols, particularly food the, the, that you've been offered in idol service, and from fornication, I'll explain later, from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among their brethren. They feel badly about what's happened, and they're going to send representatives up with a letter. This is the letter they're going to send up to the church to try to repair the damage that these self-appointed men have done to the Antioch church. The apostles and, elder, and, and the brethren who are the elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, those regions, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction. Notice this. We, don't, we didn't send these guys. We're really sorry. And they disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind. All of us down here have come into complete agreement to select men to send with, to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. How do we feel about Barnabas and Paul? 
We love them. We support them. What they've been preaching to you is the gospel that we all totally agree to. Hallelujah. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will report the same things by word of mouth, so that Paul and Barnabas don't have to bear this letter. They're not, they're not, you're not asking you to trust Paul and Barnabas. Listen to men we've sent up there as our representatives. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, to abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood, things strangled, from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. That's the Jerusalem Council. We're watching two estranged portions of a family trying to figure out a way to come together in peace. One side came from a rough, troubled background with no knowledge of the Bible whatsoever. The other was a very disciplined and exclusive group whose parents taught them to memorize scripture from early childhood. They dressed differently. They ate different kinds of food. They came from different ethnic backgrounds. They spoke different languages at home. In fact, they were so different, it's hard to imagine how they could be part of the same family. But about 15 years earlier, a marriage, if you get my drift, had taken place that had pulled these two groups together. For years, they barely acknowledged the other's existence. But members from both groups had started spending time together recently. And that brought to the surface feelings that had long laid hidden. A few aggressive individuals told the other side of the family what was wrong with them. And that had created a crisis. People started arguing bitterly. So a meeting was called to try to reconcile the different sides so they could love each other and act like a family. Does that sound familiar? Even though he wholeheartedly acknowledged that righteousness is by faith and Gentiles should be welcomed into the Lord's church, James knew a difficult cultural barrier still remained between the two groups. For real fellowship to take place, there'd need to be some restraint on the part of Gentiles as well as Jews. To ask a Jew to go into a Gentile home and ignore gross violations of God's order for marriage or eat dishes made with animal blood was simply asking too much. They would gladly affirm that Gentiles were clean through faith. They would turn their back on age-old barriers and undoubtedly be persecuted for doing so than they were. But their Gentile brothers and sisters needed to bring their lives into submission to some basic biblical values. And be respectful toward their Jewish brothers and sisters. So James gave this pastoral advice. He said he decided not to trouble those who were turning to God from the nations. But to write to them to keep away from food that had become ritually unclean. Because it had been in the worship of, used in the worship of idols. From fornication. Meaning the breaking of Old Testament laws which prohibit certain types of sexual relations. I won't take you there. I mean, we could have quite the day just reading through Leviticus 18. But it says things like you can't, you can't marry your daughter. You can't marry your mother. You can't marry your sister. Uh, you can't, you, you, you can't uh, have a relationship with an animal. Uh, you, you know, on and on and on. You say, well, who would ever? They did all of that in the Gentile cultures. You need to know something. United States right now is not breaking into new frontiers. We are repaganizing. In those days, 
Every form of sexuality was so prevalent that people would write it into their marriage contracts. One common phrase that would be put into a marriage contract is a woman would say to a man, I don't permit you to have a boy. It was that common. These men and women are living in cultures that are having sexual relationships with everything that moves. They would, they would, they would, they would look at us and say, you're way back in the times. You know? They were far more advanced in the stuff they were dealing with. So when they're saying to these, these, these Jews now are saying, okay, all right, if we're going to fellowship hall after service with you, don't service blood soup. We don't want to eat your blood soup. <laughs> don't, please, please don't bring stuff that your, your uncle just sacrificed to the, to the, to the god Artemis, God is Artemis, and, and, and ask us to have, you know, have, have hamburgers. Um, we, we don't want to eat that stuff. Uh, it, it really bothers it. Would it bother you? Yeah. It, it was still, you know, I'm kind of with these guys. I don't want to eat blood soup either. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, um, and, and I don't want to sit across the table from somebody who's, who's, who's married to his sister. It bothers me. It's, and they're, what they're saying is, look, that's not just Moses' law. That's the Garden of Eden. There's a certain way God has made things. These are deep life principles. The blood thing. It was, God says, life is in the blood. Life belongs to me. Don't eat it. You can have the animal's flesh. You may not drink its life. It's Genesis chapter 9, verse 4. Noah. You could, that was when they were permitted. That was when animal, animal flesh was first permitted by God to be eaten. He said, all right, you can eat that, but don't drink its blood. Don't drink its blood. That life is mine. Leave the life alone. So here are these Jews saying, okay, so how are we going to fellowship with you? How are we going to get together with you? Don't serve as blood. That's, that's something we're never going to get loose to. We're never going to like that. It's not okay for us. If we're going to eat together and be together, you mustn't do that. Does this make sense? I actually think it's total sense. This isn't some legalistic silliness. They're saying, you guys need to change some basic things and acknowledge some biblical principles that God has set in his word. And yes, we will acknowledge it is by faith in Christ alone. All right, verse 21. James went on to say, For Moses from earliest generations has those who proclaim him in every city being read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. He was warning the Gentile churches that tensions over these issues wouldn't go away with the passing of time. If they wanted to evangelize Jews and draw them into a common church gathering, they would need to observe these standards. For thousands of years, Jews had been taught to avoid these things by the law of Moses. And on every Sabbath and in every synagogue, that same teaching continued. In other words, Jews would never be comfortable fellowshipping with people who practice such violations of the Bible. In order to reach Gentiles, Jews would need to acknowledge that salvation is by faith in Christ alone, not require them to become Jews. But to reach Jews, Gentiles would need to conform to some basic commandments of God. Otherwise, a stumbling block to conversion would be placed in front of Jews, just as Jews had placed a stumbling block in front of Gentiles. Do you see what's happening in the Jerusalem Council? How do we live together? How do we put two very different cultures and become one church? Notice, it wasn't okay to stay separated. Let, let that sink in a minute. 
It wasn't okay to say, you guys go to your church. We'll go to our church. You do it your way. We'll do it our way. We all love Jesus, right? They understood Jesus wanted, listen to me, different kinds of people to come together and love each other. It wasn't okay to be segregated. Jews and Jewish churches, Gentiles and Gentile churches, regardless of what Jesus had originally commanded them to do, it had been that way, segregated, for 15 years. They knew he wanted them to melt together into one new people, and they were finally determined not to ignore him any longer. In the past, he'd allowed them to stay separate, but it didn't represent his highest will. He wanted the world to see those walls come down. And people who would not naturally love each other, love each other. He wanted his church gatherings to look like heaven. He wanted believers to be able to invite someone to church and say, come with me and I'll show you what heaven will look like. People from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping God and loving each other. Would you read that quote with me? Come with me and I'll show you what heaven will look like. People from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping God and loving each other. I heard a man say that, a man named Tom Skinner years ago. He was speaking at, at, at Fuller Seminary where I was attending. And he stood there and he said, people, we ought to be able to say to people, come with me to church and I'll show you what heaven looks like. And that just struck me. I thought, yeah. We should. Now, you and I all know, you and I all know that that hasn't been the case in a lot of church history and, and in our own country's history. We've, we, we, we just, we, in fact, we practically celebrate the fact that we all split into our own little groups and you can find whatever you want. You can just shop it and find whatever you're comfortable with. Don't ever hang around people you don't like. Uh, if there's too many old people there, you young people need to leave and find a bunch of young people. And if there's too many young people there, you old people need to leave and find a whole group of old people. You know, for heaven's sakes, don't stretch. Don't change. Don't compromise. Don't have to live with each other. Just find the group you like. That's the American way. I want you to see it was not their way. And right now at the Jerusalem Council, they are making a deep decision. This is terribly painful for them. You need to understand that the Jews who will agree to this are going to pay for it big time. Their Jewish family and friends, their synagogues will be outraged that they hang around with Gentiles or they even hang around with people who hang around with Gentiles. They are unclean. There'll be a fury. I think it's one of the reasons that they, you notice how poor they were that they're always raising money for the Jerusalem and, and, and Judean uh, Christian Jews. You know why? They're, they're completely in trouble. They are persecuted. They're hammered. Because if they're going to compromise this, they are going to be punished. And yet they accepted it. They're sitting there saying, we'll pay the price to be with you. Please just don't service blood and meet the sacrifice idols. And please, would you please follow the biblical marriage guidelines? We just don't know how to fellowship with that. But as we can see in this chapter, that kind of unity is difficult. It requires costly decision to bring our lives into submission to God's will. 
It requires us to see spiritual realities as more important than cultural realities. Spiritual realities. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. I'll show you the spiritual realities that we're supposed to see. Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember, I'm at verse 11. You, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul looks at these, uh, the Gentile portion of the church, because they would have both there in Ephesus too. And he says, you guys, you Gentiles, you didn't have anything. You didn't belong to God. You were outside his covenants. You were outside his blessings. You were just out there uh, by yourself. But now verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you've, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Say that. For he himself is our peace. And read on. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And I'll go on. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Say one new man. One Thus establishing what? The peace of Jesus Christ isn't some magical thing he does pixie dust on us. Lord, I need peace. Oh, thank you. Peace is something you work at. Peace is a decision you make. Peace is something that because of Christ, drawing on Christ, you choose to learn peace and live at peace with others. It's not an easy thing. Peace isn't easy at all. But peace, it's wonderful. But he says, why do we do it? What would cause us two different kinds of people? What would bring different people together? Christ. He's reconciled us in himself. In in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. He came and preached to peace. Peace to you who were far away. Who's that? Gentiles. And peace to you who were near. Who's that? The Jews. Yeah. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Say God's household. Having been built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together is growing into a temple in the Lord, in whom, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Paul is explaining to the Ephesians how God put two very different cultural groups together to form his church. He says the true basis for relationship between any two Christians is not that we come from similar backgrounds. Say amen. Not that we agree on how the Christian life should be lived. Amen. Within reasonable biblical boundaries. Not that we even like being with each other. Say amen. I say that lightheartedly, but it's true, isn't it? I choose to love. I choose to belong. When you get together with family members. In Christ, we don't really have a choice. I don't like it. 
tough. Get over it. We choose to love because of Jesus Christ. We choose to see with his eyes. We choose to be kind when they are. We, he says, love your enemies. He says, the world doesn't. It loves who those who love them. If you do only that, how are you any different than they are? He says, you love your enemies. You be kind and generous with those who, who, who hurt you. And so you will be like your heavenly father who is kind to the just and the unjust. You become like him. He says, literally become perfect like him. Become mature and complete in your love like he does. The true basis for relationship between any two Christians is that we both believe in Jesus Christ. God, Paul is pressing the Ephesians to see when, that when believers put aside the, their differences and come together, they are submitting to God's eternal plan. He said, we belong together because we belong to a spiritual family. We believe the same truths. God has designed us to function in harmony and unity. We're supposed to be together. And when we obey, God dwells among us. His presence is among us when we gather and his power goes with us as we minister. We become temples, our calling. Now flip over to Ephesians 4. Just one old page or so to the right. Later in this same letter, Paul challenges the Ephesians to live up to this calling. He tells them, now I've got the quote here in, the, in, in my version so you can, we can read together. Read out loud with me, would you? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, we are joined to the same church. We are filled with the same spirit. We are headed to the same heaven. We follow the same leader. We believe the same gospel. We confess Jesus by the same water baptism. We have the same heavenly father. These realities bond us together and demand that we be at peace with one another, no matter how different we may appear to be. What pulls us together is far stronger than what pulls us apart. I wrote that. Isn't that good? Now, <laughs> say that last sentence with me. That, that's so good. What pulls us together is far stronger than what pulls us. Say it again like you mean it. What pulls us together is far stronger than what pulls us apart. This isn't happy talk. This is Christianity. You get on an airplane and you fly to another hemisphere and you fly halfway around this planet and you get together with other Christians and you will find that they are your brothers and sisters. You will find they are maturing in Christ and learning things, the same things you are. It's amazing to me. You'll, you'll get together with people and you say, they'll say, you know, God's been talking to me about this. And you're going, seriously? Because he's just been talking to me about that too. How about that? One Holy Spirit. 
you will find people in other cultures, they, they will, they will, they will there be all, yes, there's all kinds of differences in the way we dress and eat, da, 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 but you're going to get together. When you get together with, 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 with true Christians, you are so at home. I get off the plane in some other part of the planet and I, and I get with people and I'm completely with my brothers and sisters. I am my, in my, my family. I feel totally at home. I feel totally at home worshiping. I'm totally at home teaching the word. I feel as comfortable with them as I feel with you. Why? They're my family. They're your family. Do you understand? This isn't a game. You, if you haven't traveled, you need to go on some of our missions. Or, or simply start reaching out to different groups of people right here. Are we willing to live this out? Are we willing to put spiritual realities ahead of cultural realities? Or will we let that wall form in the heart? It says, you stay on your side, I'll stay on mine. I, I trust you're all right. I trust God's got you. I just don't want to be with you. I don't want to hang with people like you. I, hope, I, I know we'll all end up in heaven. It'll be different when we get there, right? At least our section will wave at your section. <laughs> you understand God doesn't look like, think like that at all. He sees his children. He thinks it's his family. He thinks we're all part of the same family. That's how he thinks. And he wants us to live it out. In fact, Jesus says, he says, look, I want you, the way the world will know that I'm real is that they see you love one another. When, in other words, when you start crossing barriers that the world won't cross, when you start loving a, a people that the world knows won't love each other, when they start seeing radical love like that, they will know I'm real. They'll know I'm real. All your talk all your blabber about, about your religious beliefs are one thing. But when they see that kind of love that crosses bridges, that breaks down walls, that puts people together that would not love each other and sees them working together in harmony and true love, he says they're going to know this is real because that can't be faked. At the Jerusalem Council... We watched God bring down the dividing wall between two very different groups of people. Paul tells us Jesus is our peace. And in this chapter, Luke allows us to observe how that peace becomes a reality. It wasn't an instantaneous miracle. It was a difficult process which people chose to do at first only because it was the right thing to do. For God's will to be done, both sides had to change. Jewish believers had to acknowledge that faith in Christ is enough. Gentile believers had to change their lifestyles to bring them into accord with biblical values. The solution wasn't compromise, each side giving up a little bit. It was a choice each person had to make to obey God's truth at a deeper level. The legalists had to confess Jesus as Savior. The lawless had to confess him as Lord. Nobody in that council came out without being wounded. Each person had to confront their own flesh and count the cost. Each person had to decide if they would live by the rules of a new kingdom. One the earth had never seen before. Something brand new is being birthed. 
Would they seek to please Jesus, not themselves? Would they put spiritual realities over cultural realities and become part of a new creation? Would they accept persecution from those in their old culture that wouldn't understand? Would they change offensive behaviors, putting others' needs ahead of their own? What is so amazing is that they answered yes. They chose to put an end to separation between Jews and Gentiles and to live together in peace. Of course, there would be many struggles in the future and some failures. But at least they started down the right road. And every one of us should be deeply grateful they did. Because those who walked down that road brought the gospel to us. Now the question is, will we walk down that same road to carry the gospel to people who are different from us. Look, the gospel always flows in, in sociological terms. It flows to the boundaries of the culture. People go to people like themselves. People see that people like themselves need Jesus. And, and wherever that breaks down, whether it's, whether it's ethnicities, whether it's age groups, whether it's styles or groups within the culture, subcultures, we tend to evangelize and share Christ with people like us and feel like, well, if somebody's going to get those folks, that's their job. Aren't we grateful they didn't let those boundaries stay there? Because that's how come most of us in here are Gentiles. Not all of us, but most of us are Gentiles. And the gospel came to us because there was a lot of generosity here. And there was a, it was a church that came together. And God wants that same flow, that same grace to flow through us. That any kind of wall, any kind of barrier that we put up goes away. Because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to share something. It's a little tender uh, to share. It's a little embarrassing to share. But it, it, it's true and, I, and I'm going to say it. Since when does embarrassing ever stopped me? Um, <laughs> I don't remember how many years ago this was. Quite a few. And I don't even remember what precipitated it. It wasn't one of these painful, emotional things kind of deal. But the Lord came to me at one point, And he spoke very clearly to me. And he said this. He said, you're not a white man anymore. You're my man. You're not a white man anymore. You're my man. Now, obviously, I am. He was talking to me about my self-identity. He was saying, your identity is no longer ethnic. You're no lo your self-identity is no longer your American. Your identity is that you are my man. You are a Christian. And all who are, are your brothers and sisters. And you will not see any kinds of separation. You are not to make any distinction whatsoever. It wasn't teaching me to hate my history or my family. It was not that at all. But it was something you let go of. Because many of us, if you look inside, you'll find there's things we hold on to in terms of identity. This is who I am. And the Lord was saying, you are now part of a new kingdom. 
This is your identity. This is the man you are now, not that man. It was very real. It, I, 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 it, it, it went in. It took. It wasn't a big painful thing. It took. And it has changed me ever since. I, understand, I mean, it was a very real dialogue. I'm not suggesting that you have to do that. But I am suggesting that these men and women were making such a choice. That their identity was not that they were Jewish or Gentile. That their identity was not that they were Americans. I, I love this country. I pray for this country. I pray for our leaders all the time. But I am not first an American. I am not first a Republican. I'm not even a good one of those. I am, I am not, I am not a, uh, I'm not first of all Foursquare. Thank you. Appreciate that, Terry. I am, first of all, a Christian. I belong to him. And people who love him are my brothers and sisters. And people without him, no matter what the boundaries are, I'm, I'm trying to reach. Years, this is also, all of these are embarrassing. It's an awkward subject. When Mary and I planted a church in Tempe, Arizona, um, <laughs> the denomination had a building. It was a 1929 building, and it had uh, it was a it was absolutely a devastated building in a corner with no parking and all. But it had this building had parapet walls. Do you know what those are? It's, it, down there, the, to make a building look higher, you you run the walls up, but the roof is down here. So you have these high walls around the roof. Well, you might think that Arizona never has any rain, but it does. And when it gets it, it's in big bunches, you know, cloud bursts. And apparently the, 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 the drains, the, the roof drains on this parapet walls had clogged. And they'd had a downpour at some point. And the, and the whole thing had filled up like a swimming pool. And then so heavy, it crushed the trusses. And the, the entire roof caved in and split. And the water <laughs> poured into the sanctuary, the whole thing. So, and that's the building they offered me. Um, <laughs> it had fallen out of escrow 16 times. Serious, I'm not making that up. 16 times. And, uh, and you want the building? Sure, thanks. Um, anyway, I, that's a whole story in itself. But I, was, I, was, I, I, I had had a... A young man come to my services, which were meeting, we were thinking at the time we were meeting in a junior high school band room. And, uh, and, I, and I found out that he did upholstery work. And I'm thinking, how, am I, how are we going to do this thing? And so I, I, he, he met with me out at the church. And I, we had the old pews still in this building. The roof is still hanging there. I mean, you know, the sunlight's coming down the roof. And I'm looking at these pews and I'm saying, is there any chance we could upholster these things? Or do something with them. And he's taught, we had this conversation. And then, he, and then he, at the end of our conversation, he stops me and he, he, he looks me right in the eye. And we've been talking a bit about the Lord. And he, he looks me right in the eye and he says, let me ask you a question. He said, would you, would, would you mind having a bunch of Mexicans in your church? It hurt me that he asked. It did. I thought, ah, why do we have to ask these things? And I looked him right back and I said, are you kidding me? Fill the place. He didn't smile. He didn't flinch. He looked me right back in the eye and he said, all right. 
He did. Within six months, you know, I'd say a quarter of our church to a third of it was his family or relatives or members or friends of his family. To such a degree, oh, to such a degree that we began to sing all of our songs in both English and Spanish. From that era, I can still sing a whole bunch of Spanish you know, worship chorus and stuff. And, 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 and so we, we, just, we just came together. Now, I had some families leave over it. Bye. Uh, but that church became so strong as a, as a, as a, because we decided to love each other. We decided to be family. We decided to be one. His nephew, by the way, we ended up sending to Bible college. Uh, I sent him back east so he'd be with John Masariegos. Some of you know that name. And, and I wanted to be with John, and John was the dean of the school there. And I, so we sent him back there. He married some lovely young gal, and they then became the youth ministers down at the southeast district, and then came back, and he pastored that church. <laughs> he, today, he's a pastor at another church, uh, Foursquare Church in, in, in Gilbert, and he and his wife still always give us a hug, and here he is going on with the Lord. He wasn't a Christian when we got him, had his hair to his waist. We, had, we taught him to play the bass, and uh, I didn't tell him to cut his hair either. Amen. I thought I was kind of glad he had it, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on, you. No, I was not because I envied it. It was... It, it was Are you and I willing to see people and put the stuff away and let, that, let our eyes be open? We have the same thing happening here in our church. Aren't we grateful? I just had a group of, of, of our Korean members saying, you know, because Korean people know how to pray. I mean, they really pray. In fact, when I was in, in Africa just now, several of the pastors were saying to me, they'd learned from Korean Christians, and they said, we're getting this prayer thing. And they were. They're starting to pray their countries open. I mean, they, so that some of the people came and said, can we have a morning prayer time? We just, we just, we just need to pray. What, you know, no. And nobody's praying on this property in the morning. Of course. Like, you know, aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful for the grace that God has in his church? Hallelujah. All right, let's just ask ourselves the question. The questions the Jerusalem Council put in front of us are questions only an individual can answer. Will I seek to please Jesus, not myself? Will I put spiritual realities over cultural realities and become part of a new creation? Will I accept persecution from those in my old culture that don't understand? Will I change offensive behaviors, putting others' needs ahead of my own? These are the decisions of the heart, my heart. And if I say yes, I'll find myself part of a family that looks like heaven. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.